Section 17 of Heroines Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Denise Nordell. Heroines Every Child Should Know, edited by Hamilton Wright Maybe and Kate Stevens. Sister Dora, Part 2. Mr. Samuel Welsh says, I remember one evening I was in the hospital when a poor man who had been dreadfully crushed in a pit was brought in. One of his legs was so fearfully injured that it was thought it would be necessary to amputate it. After examining the patient, the doctor came to me in the committee room, one door of which opened into the passage leading to the wards and another into the hall, in the domestic portion of the building. After telling me about the patient who had just been brought in, he said, Do you know Sister Dora is very ill? So ill, he continued, that I question if she will pull through this time. I naturally inquired what she was suffering from, and in reply the doctor said, She will not take care of herself and is suffering from blood poison. He left me, and I was just trying to solve the problem, what shall be done, or how shall her place be supplied if she be taken from us by death, when I saw a spectral-like figure gliding gently and almost noiselessly through the room from the domestic entrance to the door leading to the wards. The figure was rather indistinct, for it was nearly dark, and as I gazed at the receding form I said, "'Sister, is it you?' Whist, she said, and glided through the doorway into the wards." In a short time she returned, and I said to her, "'Sister, the doctor has just been telling me how ill you are. How is it you are here?' "'Ah,' replied she, "'it is true I am very ill, but I heard the surgeons talking about amputating that poor fellow's limb, and I wanted to see whether or not there was a possibility of saving it, and I believe there is, and knowing that I shall rest better.' So saying, she glided as noiselessly out of the room as when she entered." on her recovery which was retarded by her neglecting herself to attend to others she called me one day to the hall door of the hospital and asked me if i thought it was going to rain i told her i did not think it would rain for some hours she then told me to go and order a cab to be ready at the hospital in half an hour i tried to persuade her not to venture out so soon but it was no use she went and many a time i wondered where she went to about six months afterward i happened to be at a railway station and saw a pointsman who had been in our hospital with an injured foot but who as his friends wished to have him at home had left before his foot was cured i inquired how his foot was he replied that had it not been for sister dora he would have lost his foot if not his life i said how did she save your foot when you were not in the hospital and she was ill at the time you left the hospital well he replied you know my foot was far from well when i left the hospital there was no one at our house who could see to it properly and it took bad ways and one evening i was in awful pain oh how i did wish for sister dora to come and dress it i felt sure she could give me relief but i had been told she was very ill so i had no hope that my earnest desire would be realized but while i was thinking and wishing the bedroom door was gently opened and a figure just like sister dora glided so softly into the room that i could not hear her but oh she was so pale that i began to think it must be her spirit but when she folded the bedclothes from off my foot i knew it was she she dressed my foot and from that hour it began to improve a few days after this interview with the pointsman i was talking to sister dora and said by the by sister i have found out where you went with the cab that day she replied with a merry twinkle in her eye, "'What a long time you have been finding it out!' Her old patients ever remembered her with gratitude. A man called Shell, an engine-stoker, was twice in the hospital under her care, first with a dislocated ankle severely cut, the second time with a leg crushed to pieces in a railway accident. It was amputated. 
according to his own account he remembered nothing of the operation except that sister dora was there and that when i come to after the chloroform she was on her knees by my side with her arms supporting my head and she was repeating they climbed the steep ascent of heaven through peril toil and pain o god to us may grace be given to follow in their train and all through the pain and trouble that i had afterward i never forgot sister's voice saying those words when she was in the smallpox hospital avoided by most this man never failed to stump away to it to see her and inquire how she was getting on there were as she herself recognized faults in the character of sister dora and yet without those faults problematical as it may seem it is doubtful whether she could have achieved all she did one who knew her long and intimately writes to me a majestic character brimming over with sympathy but for lack of self-discipline the sympathy was impulsive and gushing her glorious nature physical and mental was marred by undisciplined impulse her nature found its congenial outlet in devoted works of mercy and love to her fellow-creatures how far she would have done the same under authority i fear is little doubtful miss twig who knew her well writes me she was a lovable woman so bright and winsome she used to come into our rather dull and sad home our mother died when we were quite children after evening service she would nurse one of us big as we were then and the others would gather round her while she would tell us stories of her hospital life she was a real woman there is one point in sister dora's life to which sufficient attention has not been paid by her biographers it is one which the busy workers of the present day think of too little namely the writing of bright helpful letters to any friend who is sick or in trouble somehow or other she always found time for that wrote one who knew her well and who contributes the following written to a young girl who was at the time in a spinal hospital and was almost a stranger to her my dear miss j i was so glad to hear from you though i fear it must be a trouble for you to write i do hope that you will really have benefited by the treatment and rest i am so glad that the doctor is good to his children such little attentions when you are sick help to alleviate wonderfully i wish i could come and take a peep at you did mrs n tell you that she had sent us five pounds for our seaside expedition was it not good of her oh we shall have such a jolly time to see all those poor creatures drink in the sea breezes we have had a very busy week of accidents and operations it has been a regular storm my dear it is in such times as you are now having that the voice of jesus christ can be best heard come into a desert place a while know you surely that it is god's visitation take home that thought realize it god visiting you elizabeth was astonished that the mother of her lord should visit her we can have our emmanuel i can look back on my sicknesses as the best times of my life don't fret about the future he carrieth our sicknesses and healeth our infirmities you know infirmity means weakness after sickness think of the cheering lines of our hymn his touch has still its ancient power when i arose up from my sick-bed they told me i should never be able to enter a hospital or do work again i was fretting over this when a good friend came to me and told me only to take a day's burden and not look forward and it was such a help i got up every day feeling sure i should have strength and grace for the day's trial may it be said of you dear they took knowledge of her that she had been with jesus may he reveal himself in all his beauty is the prayer of your sincere friend sister dora it does not truly represent sister dora to dwell on her outer life and not look as well into that which is within as it was the very mainspring of all her actions as it in fact made her what she was the same writer to the guardian gives some sentences from other letters take your cross day by day dearie and with jesus christ bearing the other end it will not be too heavy if we could find jesus it must be on a mountain not in the plains or smooth places he went up into a mountain and taught them saying etc it is only on a mountain side that we shall see the cross 
it was only after zacchaeus had climbed the tree he could seek jesus i have been thinking much of this lately it is not in the smooth places we shall see jesus it is in the rough in the storm or by the sick couch a christian is one whose object is christ i am rejoiced that you are enjoying faber's hymns they always warm me up oh my dear is it not sad that we prefer to live in the shade when we might have the glorious sunshine it was during the winter of eighteen seventy six to seventy seven that sister dora felt the first approach of the terrible disease that was to cause her death and then it was rather by diminution of strength than by actual pain she consulted a doctor in birmingham in whom she placed confidence and he told her the plain truth that her days in this world were numbered she exacted from him a pledge of secrecy and then went on with her work as hitherto she was suddenly brought as it were face to face with death distant perhaps but inevitable she who was full of such exuberant life and spirit that the very word death seemed a contradiction when applied to her even her doctor as he looked at her blooming appearance and measured with his eye her finely made form was almost inclined to believe the evidence of his outward senses against his sober judgment she could not endure pity she to whom everybody had learnt instinctively to turn for help and consolation on whom others lent for support must she now come down to ask of them sympathy and comfort the pride of life was still surging up in her that pride which had made her glory in her physical strength for its own sake as well as for its manifold uses in the service of her master true she had been long living two lives inseparably blended the outward life of hard unceasing toil the inner a constant communion with the unseen world the existence of which she realized to an extent which not even those who saw the most of her could appreciate to all the poor ignorant beings whose souls she tried to reach by means of their maimed bodies she was indeed the personification of all that they could conceive as lovable holy and merciful in the saviour at the same time she judged her own self with strict impartiality she knew her own faults her unbending will her pride and glory in her work seemed to her even a fault and in place of looking on herself as perfect she was bowed down with a sense of her own shortcomings at the same time with death before her she hungered for more work for her master his words were continually on her lips i must work the works of him that set me while it is day the night cometh when no man can work at last in the month of august eighteen seventy eight typhoid fever having broken out in the temporary hospital it was found necessary to close it and hasten on the work of the construction of another this gave her an opportunity for a holiday and a complete change she went to the isle of man to london and to paris but the disorder was making rapid strides and was causing her intense suffering and she craved to be back at walsall she got as far as birmingham and was then in such a critical state that it was feared she would die but her earnest entreaty was to be taken to walsall let me die she pleaded among my own people mr welsh says on calling at the queen's hotel birmingham where she was lying ill i was told the doctor of the hospital dr mclaughlin was with her and thinking they were probably arranging matters connected with the hospital i did not go to her room but proceeded to the train i had scarcely got seated when the doctor called me out and we entered a compartment where we were alone he asked me when it was intended to open the hospital i replied on the fourth of november then he said that will be just about the same time sister dora will die the announcement was to me a shock of no ordinary kind for i had not heard of her being ill and no one could have imagined from the cheerful tone of a letter i had received from her a week or so before that there was anything the matter with her not being able to fully realize the true state of affairs i asked him if he were jesting he replied he was not and that he thought it best to let me know at once so that arrangements might be made for getting someone to take her place when the hospital was opened 
I said, I suppose she is going to Yorkshire? No, he replied, and that is another thing I wish to speak to you about. She wishes to die in Walsall, and she must be removed immediately. On Sunday, the following day, I saw the chairman and vice-chairman of the hospital. On Sunday evening I returned with Dr. McLaughlin to the Queen's Hotel, where he found his patient very weak. On Monday morning a house was taken, and the furniture she had in her rooms at the hospital removed to it. Her old servant, who had gone to the potteries, was telegraphed for, and arrived in a few hours, and by midday the house was ready for her reception. My daughter, knowing Sister Dora's fondness for flowers, had procured and placed on the table in the parlor a very choice bouquet, and when all was ready, Dr. McLaughlin drove over to Birmingham and brought her to Walsall in his private carriage. The disease was now making steady progress, and it was evident that every day she was becoming weaker, but she never lost her cheerfulness, and any one to have seen her might have thought she was only suffering from some slight ailment instead of an incurable and painful disease. A few hours before her death, writes Mr. S. Welch, she called me to her bedside and said, I want you to promise that you will not, when I am gone, write anything about me. Quietly I came among you, and quietly I wish to go away. And this desire of hers would have been faithfully complied with had not misrepresentations fired the gentleman to whom the request was made to take up his pen, not in defense of her, but in the correction of statements that affected certain persons who were alive. In her last sickness, when she found her end approaching, she insisted on every one leaving the room. It was her wish to die alone. And as she persisted, so was it. Only one nurse standing by the door held ajar, and watching till she knew by the change of attitude, and a certain fixed look in the countenance, that Sister Dora had entered into her rest. It was Christmas Eve when she passed away, and a dense fog, like a funeral pall, hung over the town, and obscured every object a few feet from the ground. Under this strange canopy the market was being held, and people were busy buying and selling, and making preparations for the great Christmas festival on the following day. But when the deep boom of the passing bell announced the melancholy intelligence that Sister Dora had entered into her rest, a thrill of horror ran through the people, who, with blanched cheeks and bated breath, whispered, Can it be true? Although for seven weeks the process of dissolution had been going on before their eyes, they could not realize the fact that she whom they loved and revered was no more. The funeral took place on Saturday, the 28th of December. The day was dark and dismal, the streets covered with slush and sludge caused by the melted snow were thronged with spectators. There was general mourning in the town, and although it was market day, nearly every shop was closed during the time of the funeral, and all the blinds along the route of the procession were drawn. On reaching the cemetery it was found that four other funerals had arrived from the workhouse, and as these coffins had been taken into the chapel there was no room for Sister Dora's, which had, consequently, to be placed in the porch. This was as Sister Dora would have wished had she had the ordering of the arrangements, for she always gave preference to the poor, to whom she was attached in life, and from whom she would not have desired to be separated in death. True to her thought of others, in the midst of her last sufferings, she had made arrangements for a Christmas dinner to be given to a number of her old patients, in accordance with a custom of hers in previous years. But on this occasion the festive proceedings were shorn of their gladness. All thought of her who in her pain and on her deathbed had thought of them. Everyone tried, but ineffectually, to cheer and comfort the other, but the task was hopeless. One young lady, after the meal, and while the Christmas tree was being lighted, commenced singing the pretty little piece far away but when she came to the words, Some are gone from us forever, longer here they could not stay, she burst into tears, and the women present sobbed, and tears were seen stealing down the cheeks of bearded men. The Walsall writer of A Review concludes his paper thus, She is no idol to us, but we worship her memory as the most saintly thing that was ever given us. 
Her name is immortalized both by her own surpassing goodness and by the love of a whole people for her, a love that will survive through generations and give a magic and a music to those simple words, Sister Dora, long after we shall have passed away. There was little we could ever do, there was nothing she would let us do, to relieve the self-imposed rigors of her life, but we love her in all sincerity, and now in our helplessness we find a serene joy in the knowledge that it is to her as surely as to any human soul will be spoken the divine words, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. In Sister Dora surely we have the highest type of the Christian life, the inner and hidden life of the soul, the life that is hid in God, combined with that outer life devoted to the doing of good to suffering and needy humanity. In the cloistered nun we see only the first, and that tends to become self-centered and morbid. It is redeemed from this vice by an active life of self-sacrifice. I cannot do better than, in conclusion, quote from the last letter ever penned by Sister Dora. It is 2.30 a.m., and I cannot sleep, so I am going to write to you. I was anything but forbearing, dear. I was overbearing, and I am truly sorry for it now. I look back on my life and see nothing but leaves. Oh, my darling, let me speak to you from my deathbed and say, watch in all you do that you have a single aim, God's honor and glory. I came not to work my own work, but the works of him that sent me. Look upon working as a privilege. Do not look upon nursing in the way they do so much nowadays, as an art or science, but as work done for Christ. As you touch each patient, think it is Christ himself, and then virtue will come out of the touch to yourself. I have felt that myself when I have had a particularly loathsome patient. Be full of the glad tidings, and you will tell others. You cannot give what you have not got. End of section 17. Recording by Denise Nordell, Modesto, California.